Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good evening, everybody. Uh, welcome to Teachers Talk Radio, uh, the late show with Emily Fuller Run Show, uh, which is going to be starting in just a moment. Uh, before I hand over to Emily, perfect opportunity for me to give a shout out to Pearson MFL who sponsor this and every Teachers Talk Radio show. Uh, Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background ability or their reason for studying. We're really proud to have Pearson supporting this show. Their new qualification is rooted in learned language knowledge. Their assessments are transparent, accessible and allow all students to showcase their language skills through inclusive and relatable content. The new Pearson MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. And if you want to find out more about Pearson MFL's offer, you can find them at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL, and I'll pin a link to that in the space. I'm now going to hand over to Emily. Good evening, everyone. Um, I know it's 7.30 in the UK. It's actually currently 10.30 in the UAE. So thank you to Kat, who um, I'm going to be interviewing today um, for, you know, staying up this late after a full week of induction to explore all things outstanding teaching and learning. So it's very much appreciated. Um, so Kat Chowdhury, um, Welcome. Thank you. Thank you once again, you know, for staying up so late because I know, you know, this is <laughs> the first week of induction in the UAE and it um, it's very tiring. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I really do appreciate the fact that you've stayed up um, late on a Friday as well to discuss all things um, outstanding teaching. So before we delve into, you know, um, you know, what outstanding teaching looks like, if you just... Tell us a bit about yourself. Who is Kat Chowdhury? <laughs> yeah, so um, I'm Kat. Um, I've been teaching about just over 10 years now, um, and I started my teaching in Slough. Um, so kind of really kind of built that, that foundation. Um, I started as an English teacher um, and then became head of media. Um, and then in 2017... I took the courageous decision, myself, my husband, and then 18-month-old 18 baby to move to Abu Dhabi. Um, and I've been here ever since then, um, since had two more children since being out here. Um, been English teacher, media teacher, head of English, and now I'm a deputy head out here. So it has been a journey, but um, loving every minute of it. So that's me. <laughs> That's amazing, Kat. It seems like you've had a really successful career. And you said that you, you know, you moved up to Abu Dhabi in 2017, I believe. Um, so what made you move and what has it been like so far teaching abroad? Yeah, I think um, I've always wanted to travel and, and live abroad. Um, my my dad was in the Air Force, so I'm used to traveling anyway. I think it was a more of a shock for my husband who has never left Reading um decided to uh to up and leave 
Um, so for me, kind of traveling is in my bones. Um, and Abu Dhabi just seemed really attractive. Um, packages out here, the sunshine, you know, and I, I've, I've loved it ever since I've been here. I think Abu Dhabi in particular, if you've got a family, it is so family orientated. It's one of the safest countries in the world. It's, you know, 45 minute drive to Dubai. Um, so it, it's just very welcoming. So nothing like what people expect it to be like. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't imagine leaving. Uh, I, I We've kind of set up home here now. It's nice to go back and visit family. But, you know, this is this has become our home now. So um, no plans on leaving anytime soon. That's amazing because, um, as you know, this is my first week in Dubai. I landed on Saturday and um, it's been interesting. I really like it so far. I really do. I haven't taught the kids yet. <laughs> um, but, yeah, there's going to be things that I would like to talk about in terms of um, how schools differ from the UK, um, you know, with the UAE as well and you know before we go into what an outstanding teacher and learning looks like what tips do you have for those that may want to teach abroad or seek to yeah teach internationally yeah I think out here um you have lots of different kind of different types of schools um you have the private schools majority of the schools out here are private schools um so you're going to be with a whole range of international students which is refreshing it's quite nice to to get to know people from all around the world um but then you also have you know the the charter schools you've got the um moe schools the local schools um which they all kind of vary in the way they run things um we had the british curriculum the american curriculum the ib curriculum so those things are are pretty much the same um the children are uh children <laughs> regardless of where you teach in the world that's one thing that doesn't change you know a teenager is still a teenager um i find that they're more kind of reserved here i think the the cultural backgrounds um there that you don't have the same discussions as you would um in the UK you have to be much more culturally uh, respectful obviously um but generally speaking they are you know just like you would expect at home and um I've I've always enjoyed the students out here you you get the cheeky ones you get the um, quiet ones you get the 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 studious ones um I think the biggest thing I've noticed different is um teachers in general out here are much more kind of collaborative there's much more of a, a kind of community I feel um people are more willing to share ideas and discuss I mean I've been out of the UK for you know, this is my seventh year now. Um, so I don't know what it's like anymore. But I definitely feel out here, teachers are wanting to to get involved and be collaborative and, and, and share things, which is quite nice. 
That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences. Yeah, I feel like I agree with that community aspect because you're, it's like, although I've been here for a week, I feel like the staff almost become like your family away from home, if that makes sense. Like <laughs> yeah. Initial people that you meet and then you start to build those relationships. Yeah. Um, yeah. There, I would say. I think as well, um, you know, you have to you find that people who generally take that trip and take that journey abroad, they, they have kind of a similarity in them. They both, they, you all have that same love for traveling. You both have that kind of same interest in, in, you know, meeting other people and, and having that kind of worldly aspect to you. So I think you do kind of bond really well. And, and like you said, they do become your family away from home and, you know, my I've got lots of friends that my kids call auntie, and you know, Aww. because they they their kids have grown up together, and and it it is really close knit. It's lovely. Oh, that's amazing. Um, I just wanted to say welcome to new listeners, so Mrs. Zig and um, Tom. So if there's at you know any point that you wish to ask Kat or myself some questions in regards to teaching abroad or outstanding teaching learning please feel free to um, request. Okay, so we're just going to get straight into, you know, the main topic of outstanding teaching learning. Um, you know, I know that you're an expert in this. So to you, what, how would you describe an outstanding teacher and what distinguishes an outstanding teacher from a good teacher? You know, it's it's an interesting one because we all aim to be outstanding and it's this like elusive prize that we're all aiming for. Um, and we all think it comes down to that one-off lesson observation and we all panic about that lesson observation. It's got to be perfect and we've got to tick all those boxes and they're almost unrealistic expectations you know, from, for years, I would get well done. That was very good with outstanding features, you know, and in any other job that would be, you know, a positive thing. But for us teachers, we're very critical of ourselves. So to hear you're very good with outstanding features just makes you feel like you're not good enough. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're always striving to be better. Um, but through kind of my research and, and my passion in teaching and learning and, and, my focus mainly on John Hattie and effect sizes and it's taught me a lot about mindset and that being outstanding it's not a tick list you can't just you know if I do this 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 and this in my lesson and I get an outstanding you know for that one-off lesson that that doesn't necessarily mean you know you're an outstanding teacher it means that you know well done you pulled it off in that lesson but you know, yeah. being outstanding is is much more than that, and I, I, I really disagree with holding a one off lesson, you know, and 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 giving someone a, a title or even taking a title away because of that one off lesson when there's so much yeah. more to consider. And it's about you know if you if you do research John Hattie, he coined the phrase "know thy impact." And that's what it's about. It's what impact are you having in the classroom? You know, just because you you know the buzzwords or, you know, you, you get all those ticked off list uh, in your observation 
does that mean you're having an impact in every single lesson for every single student? So yeah. it's, it's about actually being reflective. And, you know, sometimes it goes wrong. You know, we, we trial things. It doesn't work. Okay, that's fine. Let's be reflective. Let's look over what did I do? What could I do differently next time? What works for each individual child in my classroom? And, you know, as teachers, we, we have an impact. Everything we do in the classroom, you know, 98% of what you're doing in the classroom is having a positive impact. But it's about looking at, well, what could I tweak? What could I change slightly to have an even more significant impact? And John Hattie talks about effect sizes. And anything above zero is having a positive impact. Anything above 0.4 is, having, is in the desired zone. That's where you want to be. Anything above that means you're having a significant impact on student progression and you're accelerating that, um, that kind of uh, progress. And that's where you want to be. So it's about looking at how can I get into that desired zone? How can I tweak those things in my lesson to ensure that I am making sure each child is becoming reflective, is learning about learning, is, you know, thinking about those metacognitive skills. So it's it's kind of that rather than, oh, well done, you ticked those boxes. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. So I'm getting the gist that an outstanding teacher is someone that's just basically consistent. Consistently yeah. good, consistently, you know, that knows the impact, that's aware of the impact and that's reflective, okay, I'm doing this, but considering what is the impact of, of it and, and seeing that come to pass. Right. Like we um, all we all question in our class, but how many of us actually plan our questions? How yeah. many of us actually probe and take those questions that next step further to challenge them a little bit more we all give feedback but how many of us are given effective feedback we all kind of um we do uh, peer work or we do collaboration but do we actually think about why we're doing it and have we thought about our groups have we thought it's those those things that you're thinking about and you're being more kind of mindful of it that's the difference. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I've got we've got a question from Tom. Um, I know you've been out from the UK system for quite a while, so anything you could shed light on that would be great. Or you can tell us from the K. Is it the KHDA, the offset equivalent from the? So yeah, in, US... in Dubai it is in in uh, Abu Dhabi we have ADEC. So, but oh, same okay. same yeah. Yeah, um, I don't know. So in the UK, Ofsted has stopped um, yeah. grading teachers as outstanding or just grading teachers full stop. Um, is that the same in the UAE, ADEC? So or... In the UAE, you're still graded. Um, you're still... Individually? Yes, so you still get... Oh, okay. Um, but it's not outstanding. It's like effective, highly effective, okay. that kind of thing. Um, I think it's a good move for Ofsted to get rid of it, that title. Um, yeah. Because, again, you know, what does that mean? And I think, you know, it puts a lot of pressure on teachers when they don't get outstanding. Like I said, yeah. you know, I went years with just being very good with outstanding features. And it, 
it used to break me. Like I would feel gutted and I'd go over my lessons and they'd tell me, oh, you know, it was great, but, you know, you your pace is a little bit off. So I'd work on that. And then the next lesson, pace absolutely fine, but you didn't have differentiation. So I'd go yeah. away, I'd work on that. And it was always something different every time. So it it didn't help me. It didn't give me that feedback that I needed. And that's yeah. why, you know, just because I didn't do it in that one-off lesson doesn't mean that I wasn't doing that in my other lessons. And I think that's the mm-hmm. frustrating thing. Teachers get frustrated by that because, or, you know, they come in halfway through the lesson and, and you've already done that part of the lesson, but they haven't seen it. So I think, I think it was a good move to get rid of the title. Um, it's like if you give a, a student a piece of work, uh, you've marked a piece of work, you've given the feedback and you've also given them a grade. They look at the grade and they ignore the feedback. You know, there's research that actually says that that there's no point giving them the actual mark. If you want them to read the feedback and and do something with the feedback, don't give them the mark because they won't they won't pay attention. It's the same with saying to a teacher, you know, giving a teacher a title and then that's all they're going to fixate on. They're not they're not going to listen to the other part. So, Yeah. yeah, I definitely agree. Um, hello to our new listeners again. I can see Libby, Amanda, Missig, Moses, and Obmanu. Sorry if I've mispronounced any of your names, but welcome to um, the Friday night show at 7.30. If you would like to pose any questions to myself or Kat, please do um, request to come on or, um, you know, tweet us Um at Teacher Talk Radio. Okie dokie. So um, my next question for you, Kat, is, you know, how can we become outstanding? And as you mentioned before, if we just, you know, kept the off- the old Ofsted way of um, grading teachers as outstanding and good and all that jazz, I feel like the danger of some teachers con- consistently getting outstanding, although, you know, that is a great confidence booster, is... Um, it mitigates that growth mindset and the need to improve because a previous school that I was in was labelled as outstanding and just started to coast a bit, Mm. if that makes sense. But whether we are outstanding continually, whether we are good continually or whatever, you know, labels we want to give ourselves, I believe every teacher should strive to be outstanding, and I forgot who said it, but I don't know if it was Dylan William or somebody else that said um, that every teacher basically should um, develop themselves. It's a I forgot the actual quote, but essentially we need to um, we we should be on a journey of developing ourselves continually. So how can we, you know, become outstanding as teachers? Yeah, I th- I think you're. You're absolutely right there that, you know, by as soon as you say, oh, this person's outstanding, you run the risk of them kind of sitting back on their laurels and being like, well, I'm outstanding. I don't, I don't need to try anymore. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there, there was a myth a long time ago about the, the teacher plateau, you know, after your third to fifth year, you couldn't get any better. That was it. You'd hit your plateau, which obviously is totally rubbish. And that's not true at any point in your career you can you can get better and you know i think 
what I like about John Hattie and his effect sizes is they change because he is constantly keeping up to date. He's just released a new book with, and already, you know, like feedback used to be um, a 0.7, I want to say a 0.74 or 0.75. And now it's a 0. Point, um, a 0. Point in the 0.5s. So it's actually gone down. Um, so he's keeping... Yeah. So but why do you think that is, that it's gone down? I mean... It could be because um, people are, it could be two ways, I suppose. It could be the fact that people now are are taking it more seriously and so therefore other things have become more impactful. Or it could be that, you know, it's um, people are still not doing it as well i would i would imagine like people now are starting to realize that there's more to feedback i think that's that's kind of the buzz thing at the moment everyone's talking about feedback so maybe now because people are are taking that on board you know it's it's working and now other things have have become even more effective um so i don't know like but you have to kind of keep on top of that pedagogy and i think it's so important you know, education changes all the time. Our cohorts are changing. We're now dealing with Generation Alpha, who are our, you know, if we think about our nursery FS students who are literally just starting school, they're our Generation Alpha. They're in a whole new league. We're teaching for a future that we don't even know what that looks like yet so you know we can't we can't teach the way we used to we can't um you know teach in an old-fashioned 1800 classroom with all the desks facing for like it just doesn't work so you need to be um kind of active in in that research and in that conversation like this conversation now and and that collective teacher efficacy which is still um i believe the top the most effective um aspect that you could possibly do is collective teacher efficacy so i think having these conversations and being willing to come online and listen to teachers talk i mean you know that that's gonna it puts you on the right track to be outstanding because it means that you're you're willing to learn and listen and trial and be innovative and that's that's so important because you know they're the skills we want to develop in our students we're we're not building them to be the kind of of people we became from school like teaching's totally different the way we were taught is very different to how we need to teach moving forward yeah i definitely agree um with that, it, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what else to add to that. I definitely, definitely, definitely <laughs> agree. And I think that's something that has helped me, you know, progress in my career because I've always learned. I'm always seeking to learn. I'm always seeking to be to be better. I've never, I never believe that I've arrived. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so just, and I, and I genuinely enjoy learning about pedagogy and the science of learning and the art of learning as well. So it is just the um really big interest of mine and I know it's a big interest of you as well um <laughs> for those listening um Kat's got an amazing um Instagram account do you want to just share quickly your handle for your Instagram yeah account? so it's pedagogy underscore teacher 
Um, I don't know. Can I write it somewhere? I don't know if I can. Oh, yeah, I can, I can definitely share it. Yeah, after. I'll do. Oh, yeah, I'll put it in. So, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's I think that's the, the, the key thing is to get talking and 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 know that just things are always changing and, and keep on top of it. I mean, I am I like a self-proclaimed nerd. Um, everyone who knows me knows that I am a teaching and learning nerd. Um, and I do. My new thing is to listen to audio and podcasts. Um, so <laughs> over the summer, I listened to um, Paul Dix's um, When the Adults Change uh, What's it? The when the adults change, children change, or or something like that, and that oh, was wow. that was awesome. Then it was all about behavior, um, behavior management, and you know, so that's my new thing to to listen because I don't have time to sit down and read anymore. Yeah. Um, so you know, just but just being in the conversation, I think that's so important. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely agree. And just, you know, it's really hard for teachers because we're so busy to make time and to improve our practice. And, you know, something that I've said to um, staff members before is that we expect um, our students to, um, you know, read around their subjects to go beyond what they're learning in class. And we should do that with our own professional development and also, just as a, we expect our doctors, you know, mm-hmm. those considered to be higher in our profession, although I believe that we're equal, um, <laughs> to really read upon their practice because we, it, that's malpractice. If you go to a doctor that is not up to date in their practice, for me personally, that is malpractice. But it is hard to keep up to date with, you know, the latest practices. So what you do in terms of squeezing in audios in when you can is, you know, that sign of going the extra mile and doing what you can with the time you have. Yeah. Um, but that's, I think that's oh, yeah, when you, when you do when, the research and you and find these tricks, not even tricks, but find these new ways of doing things and these small tweaks, they, they feel like a lot initially because it's new and it's different, but eventually it becomes part of your routine and it actually cuts down on your workload. Like when when you're giving effective feedback, like I remember I did some action research a couple of years ago and I timed myself. I had 15 year 11 students um, and I I was marking as an English teacher. I have a lot of marking to do. Like they're they're writing (laughs) essays um, and they were top set as well. And it took me over two hours to mark these 15 books. And did any of them actually pay attention to my, my feedback? No, they looked at the grade and then they moved on. And that was time wasted. Whereas through doing my research and through looking at how to give more effective feedback that cut back um and same with like tweaking my lessons to be more student-led rather than teacher-led that gave me more time to go around in the classroom and give on the spot feedback as well so by by kind of reading and looking and and trying out these things you do realize how much you can take that control off and you can actually have more time to do more beneficial things. You know, I, I was always strict. I had a cutoff. Like, after five, 
I didn't do work. And sometimes, most of the time, it was before five. So from four o'clock, I wasn't taking work home with me because I learned to work smart rather than, you know. And with children, I I didn't want to be spending my evenings and my weekends marking loads of books. And, you know, I could still do my job effectively and I could still get outstanding results without putting that pressure on myself. So I think it's it's important that <clears throat> we are looking how to improve ourselves in the classroom for our own sanity <laughs> as well as anything yeah. else. Yeah, I, I do find, I definitely agree. I find as I read more and more research, it helps me to decipher what's a waste of time right. and what I'm going to adopt, literally. So I definitely agree with you in that retrospect. Um, I You mentioned a key like term before, and I don't know if, you know, um, leading CPD, I realised that not everybody knows certain top terminology like tier one, tier two, or <laughs> various words like that. But you mentioned a phrase called collective teacher Efficacy. Um, yeah, efficacy. efficacy. Um, well, how would you, how would you, um, you know, um, describe that? How would you define, um, you know, that term? So efficacy, if you think about what efficacy, like even self-efficacy, it's that building confidence yeah. in yourself. So um, have you ever heard of Bandora? Um, no. Okay, so he... Um, he came up with the the theory of of efficacy and the idea that um people kind of build confidence through like mastery so like practicing something and getting better of it through um vicarious experiences so like watching other people do it builds their confidence so that they they try it themselves so efficacy is all about kind of building that confidence and building that ability to when you are stuck or if you don't know what to do, you have the tools to get yourself out of those situations. And um, so obviously that's something we want to build in with our students to when they don't know what to do, they know what steps to take to to fix that. Um, yeah. So collective teacher efficacy is about collectively building that confidence and building that kind of um expertise so um you know it's 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 not about just sitting in a staff room and having a chat about resources over a cup of tea or although that's lovely and that and that does help um it's more about kind of working together collectively planning uh, physically planning not just talking about it um knowing who your experts are and you know buddying them up with perhaps a, a a newer teacher or someone who's not as confident in that area it's about kind of um we have um like cops which are communities of practice where we have groups of teachers who work on a specific thing together so it might be <clears throat> for example one group is looking into behavior management and as a group they'll they'll research they'll discuss they'll trial things they'll you know put together then the cpd to then present it to the rest of of the school so they kind of become experts in that area um Mm -hmm. which is quite nice thing because then you can have so we have bespoke cpd so rather than just sitting everyone in a hall and just talking at them like you know 
everyone has to focus on this, like everyone has to focus on feedback or everyone has to focus on assessment for learning. It's more, uh, okay, where are your areas that you need to develop? Let's put you into a group of others who also need to develop that area and let's get you guys working on that, chatting about it, researching, trialing, discussing, and then present back to us. So that that builds that sense of collective teacher efficacy and that's going to have the most impact. That's why John Hattie puts that at the top. That's yeah. going to have the most impact on student progress because you are collectively raising that high standard and you are collectively making sure that every student that you come across is getting that kind of excellence and is getting that strong, high expectations and, and that expert experience. That's amazing. So that's literally like the work of those in charge of teaching and learning and also middle leaders to kind of build that efficacy within departmental level where it's like meetings I suppose and middle yeah, leaders yeah. are trying to build a um, CPD program within that so I guess I mean, that's it's, it's whole, everyone yeah. I think yeah. you know everyone's responsible and leaders create leaders I think it's not about a hierarchy you could yeah. have you like as a, a head of department I could see where my experts were so I yeah. would utilize that and I would get them leading on things and I would get them, like I said, buddying up with others. They would be the ones that I would suggest come look at this person teach, you know, have that open door policy where yeah. anyone could pop in at any point just to kind of get an idea of how they they taught in a certain way or, you know, if they were if they knew they were going to have like a reflection letter uh, lesson. Um, they would be willing to, you know, my door's open if you want to come in, I, yeah. I'm there. Okay, thank you for that. That's really interesting. And you've mentioned John Hattie quite a lot. Is he your favourite? He um, is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he's actually in, well, he was in uh, Abu Dhabi recently or, oh, or yeah. even maybe Dubai, but he, it, like, you know when you have CPD at the beginning of the year and, and usually it's SLT just talking at you and yeah. it kind of goes in one ear and out the other because you're tired and all you're thinking about is, oh, I need to plan, I need to do this, yeah, that and the other. I, when I came out here, the first CPD that my, my old school did was about visible learning, which is what John yeah. Hattie kind of um, yeah. introduced. And for the first time, like my ears kind of pricked up and it was like, it was all about evidence-based research. It wasn't just, we're doing this because I said so. It's yeah. look at the evidence, look at the impact. I mean, John Hattie's done um, thousands. He's done so much work and research across thousands of schools around the world. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, so you can't really argue with, with the data and like I said his his effect sizes change as well because he's constantly keeping on top of everything so yeah I would definitely recommend looking at, at visible learning and, and what he's talked about in terms of effect sizes I'm just going to quickly go on a um thanks for sharing that I'm just going to quickly go on a short break and on this break I'm just going to quickly talk about Pearson's Excel's new student-centered French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs. They cater to the needs of all learners regardless of their background. 
ability or reason for studying, rooted in learned language, knowledge, their assessments are transparent, accessible, allowing all students to showcase their learning skills through inclusive and relatable content. The new Pearson MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students to develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com slash MFL. Okie dokie. Um, so um, I've been talking to Kat around um, outstanding teaching and learning and I've posed several questions. One being what looks, what you know constitutes as outstanding teaching. And we've been discussing all things research and divisible learning and so on. So I know one of the aspects of um, outstanding teaching, Kat, is administering feedback. So how does an outstanding teacher, you know, give students feedback? I think we we naturally want to just praise. <clears throat> we want to say, you know, well done. That was that was great. Um, and when I've done like book scrutinies in the past, um, often I'll flick through uh, books and I see well done and brilliant and excellent. Um, but the problem with that is as, as much as it's nice to, to see those words, it doesn't serve a pur- purpose. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, phrase can be given in a much more, structured way and this is why success criteria are so important you know we need to be making sure that the feedback that we're given links to that success criteria <clears throat> that the students can see where they're at on that ladder or um like the grade boundaries and what the next steps are and uh, even like you know dylan williams and john hattie again um Lots of people, <clears throat> Shirley Clark, there's lots of books out there on feedback and they all say the same about, you know, making sure that students know where they're at, where they need to be and what are the steps to take to get there. And when you give feedback, there's it's kind of three main ways of giving feedback. It can be task-based, so you're feed, giving feedback literally on what they've worked on it could be feedback based on the process so process based so you're feed you're giving feedback on how well they came up with that answer um so you know you're you're looking at okay I, I like the way you got to that answer but why is it not this or you know what if we change this aspect so you're you're teaching them how they've thought which is really important and then self-regulatory feedback um where you're modeling and teaching students to be able to look at that success criteria and give their own feedback to each other that peer assessment and you know the the two stars and a wish it works brilliantly as long as you've got that success criteria, as long as that it's just not, I like your handwriting or yeah. well done, you answered the question right. You know, again, that that is pointless. Um, sorry, just having a quick drink. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so 
that's that's where like I said you know we all give feedback that's part of our day-to-day routine but it's about thinking how am I effectively giving this feedback what purpose (coughs) is this feedback going to serve and that's that's the difference that's when you start actually again reflecting and thinking about why you're doing this like me spending two hours marking books why did I do that like what did they gain from that whereas we introduced um green pen pink pen and purple pen so green for good pink for think so anything that they need to improve on or any questions I I wanted to pose to them I did in a pink pen and then the students would use a purple pen to actually go back and make improvements or answer the questions that I'd I'd pose to them and that's where that self-regulatory comes in because as an English teacher the amount of times I've like commented on you need to work on your punctuation and then the next piece it's the exact same again it's the same again the next piece and whereas with the purple pen I teach them that you know the first draft isn't the final draft like nothing is perfect first time round take your purple pen I'm going to give you this reflection time go back and fix those mistakes. Um, so, you know, I'm not doing it for them. When I've got my pink pen, I might circle where punctuation should be. I might put a P where if they miss punctuation, I might put an SP if they've got a spelling mistake, but it's their job to go back and fix it with their purple pen. And that's where you get that that self-regulatory aspect into it. Thank you so much for um, sharing there. You give me some tips that I can't wait to use in my own practice um and I like the main word that I like in terms of what you said in your answer is purpose really be reflective and considering like what is the purpose of this is it beneficial you know to the student as well as it is it making great use of my time um in the UAE I know like student voice is um is um you know really popular out here um i know in some uk schools it 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 is it is still used as a way to evaluate the curriculum and um you know pedagogy practice in schools um so you know what tips would you give um in terms of maximizing student voice in order to um build outstanding teaching I don't know if you hear can oh, yeah, hear yeah, me. Can My internet, yeah. I think, has gone a little bit slow. Oh no, no, no worries. No, but I can hear you. Hello. Oh, cat, can you hear me? Uh, hello. I think um, there's an issue with Kat's um, internet at the moment, but if anybody does have any questions in regards to um, outstanding teaching and learning, please do, um, you know, ask and pose questions. Um, Kat, can you hear me? I'm back. I can hear you. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I can hear you now. 
Sorry, I think my internet <laughs> cut out a little bit there. <laughs> oh, no worries. It happens all the time. Uh, so, yeah, how would how would an outstanding teacher maximise student voice? Um, I think that's one thing we forget to do, um, especially when we think about feedback. We give feedback to students all the time, but when do we actually get them <clears throat> to feedback to us? When do we actually let them use their student voice to tell us about our lesson it's a very scary thing to do um and and kids will be brutally honest but i think it's it's important to to allow them because especially with you know the british curriculum you have i mean i i come from a secondary background so i i know i have a couple of years to get these students ready for an exam and can you hear me yeah. okay? I, I don't know. My, okay. Yeah, yeah, um, so, yes. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> I know that a lot of teachers get very stressed and they, they have all the best intentions in the world. But at the end of the day, they've got these exams that they've got to get these kids ready for. And I think that's where the kind of the, the nerves come in about trialing new things and be innovative because they think, I'd love to do that, but I've got all this stuff to do. But actually, what tends to happen is we rush, 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 rush. We get to the end of a term, we do a summative assessment and the kids either can't remember half of it or they've misunderstood a certain aspect of it. And by then, you know, we've finished the unit, we're ready to move on to the next. Whereas incorporating student voice throughout means that you can kind of slow it down a little bit and make sure that you're being thorough initially straight yeah. away rather than waiting to the end and then realizing oh they haven't got this like because then you have limited time to then revise and go back over it so it's important to keep that communication open and mm. make sure that students are feeding back to you and and being honest whether or not they understood whether or not they need more time whether or not you need to go back over something, you know, and 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 allow them to have that conversation with you. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, it is very scary, as you said, of um, student voice, and um, some people say that like it's it can be subjective that it, or it should be taken with a pinch of salt because <laughs> um, you know would want to overly praise their favorite teacher and students might want to you know kind of really be pessimistic about a teacher that they don't necessarily like but is quite effective what would you say to somebody that argues you know against student voice it's probably someone who's had a negative comment who's who's gonna be against uh (laughs) student voice um i think yes sometimes you're gonna have you you know especially if you're in a secondary school (coughs) you're gonna have teenagers who are gonna be very sharp um but you know yes in some cases those things you take with a pinch of salt but you're not asking them do you like me was I a good teacher today did you enjoy my lesson like what 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 are you gonna again like think about what's the purpose of that feedback that's not necessarily going to help you whereas if you are more kind of 
did you understand my lesson um did yeah. you understand it's the, the question, yeah 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 I definitely agree I, otherwise yeah, yeah. you know if you open yourself up to do you think I'm cool <laughs> like you're gonna have a load yeah, of 15 yeah, year olds yeah. say absolutely not like <laughs> so yeah. because you know students are the ones that experience our curriculum on a day-to-day basis so it's another you know tool and avenue for us to have a window into the curriculum that we offer our students and when I did um for key stage three as hot I did um sent out a forms um questionnaire at the end of each inquiry and sometimes I do mm. focus groups with key stage five and key stage four SEN focus groups or uh, boys focus groups or people premium focus groups and the questions I posed wasn't necessarily even related back to specific um, teachers it was more focused on um, the curriculum and right. what sort of pedagogy that they use and I w- um, a great book that helped me with um, formulating these questions was it's called Pupil Book Study by Alex Bedford it's amazing in terms of helping me formulate the questions and I would always interview the students with their books as well so show me a work that you're most proud of or yeah yeah and or something that you didn't quite understand why didn't you understand so it's not related specifically or made personally at a teacher because I think that's what teachers are nervous about it's more about our curriculum offer I suppose yeah I mean it's a bit yeah. We've done we've done student voice in in like collective student voices in the past of you know I did one as a department and again no names attached like it didn't tell me which teacher specifically they were talking about but I wanted to get a gist of were the non negotiables that we expected to be in every lesson were they were they happening so you yeah. know does your teacher explain the lesson objective to you. Is there a success criteria in your lesson? Do you do feedback? Do you do you do we call it dirt? So dedicated improvement and reflection time. So do you have dirt lessons? So that kind of was nice to kind of get a general idea of where as a department we needed to focus more on and you know whether or not that meant do we need to, you know, build in some more collective planning? Do we need to have a kind of set PowerPoint structure? Like it just kind of opened up that conversation of what we could do to to make sure that all of our students, because at the end of the day, the students are at the center and yeah. it's not fair. Like if you've got five teachers in your department and, you know, one group, uh, they're all teaching the exact same topic um, to the, the exact same year group, but you know one group is is accelerating in their progress, and another group is is held behind. It, it, at the end of the day, it's not fair on that student because you know we've not picked the good students to go in the accelerating class and the bad students to go in the in the low. Like it, it's because we need to be working more with our teachers to make sure they know the curriculum well, that they are incorporating the same things that effective teacher is doing, that they're also doing that. So I think that's really important that you have those, you know, professional development conversations. And, and that's where I was talking about collective teacher efficacy, know your experts and, and pairing them up so that 
every student gets that same high expectation. Yeah, yeah, definitely agree with that. Um, my next question is, how do outstanding teachers use questioning? Yeah, again, it's we all question, um, yep. but how do we do it effectively? Um, and so many times we especially kind of newer teachers who perhaps don't have the confidence, we ask lots of closed questions and <clears throat> the, the students will give the answer and you're like, excellent, brilliant, then move on. And then you move on to another question or another student and you've closed it down at that point. Whereas you could have opened that question up and allowed more discussion. So... Um, for example, you could say for a, a, alliteration, for example, you know, what is alliteration? I asked a student, they give me the answer. If I just closed it, I'd be like, yes, brilliant. Okay. And move on. Whereas if I keep it open, I'll be like, can you give me an example? Another student gives me an example. Okay. Does every word have to be next to each other? They might think about it. No, you can have the word and in the middle. Okay, so can you give me an ex another example where you've got the word and? And do you see what I mean? You're, you're opening it up and you're, you're also getting them to think about the process of how they've come up with the answer. So what I would suggest for newer teachers is actually plan in the questions that they're going to ask and think about the potential answers and how you can kind of get that discussion going rather than just shutting down those questions. There's so many opportunities where you could have explored that further because sometimes students are very good at just fluking the answer. They give you the answer and you're like, yes, brilliant. But actually that kid's totally guessed and doesn't know the answer. Whereas a little bit more probing yeah. is going to kind of make sure that they do understand it and you know with maths for example you know you can give a, a, a sum answer but what was the process how did you get to that answer was it the right process or was it again just a fluke so it's again probing and pushing it a little bit further because mm. when you model that kind of open discussion about how you've come to those conclusions students then start internalizing that and so they'll yeah. start actually questioning inside their heads because you're modeling it. You're scaffolding those types of questions of, well, how did you get to that answer? Yeah. When, when they next have a question, they'll already be thinking about that process, which is what we want. We want students thinking about thinking. Yeah. So it's that <coughs> metacognitive, oh, bless you, those metacognitive <laughs> kind of um, questions to get them aware of what they're yeah. thinking about so they Absolutely. can it in the exam. So it's almost like providing them with those internal scaffolds. So I've kind of moved away my last practice of using um, writing frames and actually instead of posing questions. And I said to students, if you can remember these three questions when you come to analyse a source, um, you, you, you will, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll be fine because... I just find that, that with questions, it it gives them that ease of um, providing internal scaffolds rather than yeah. them trying to memorise, you know, prescriptive writing frames. And writing frames do have its place. I'm still, you know, yeah. 
a, um, a big fan of using writing frames, but when it came to certain skills like analysing sources, I just said, okay, remember these three questions. These are your basically internal scaffolds, and then yeah. you, 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 you're, you're, it's, it's done. You've hit AO one to three. Um, so yeah, yeah, um, and that's why I like the um, I do, we do, you do kind of sca- <coughs> scaffolding as well because I get to model how but I'm verbalizing as I'm doing it I'm modeling how my thought process is taking place then we can do it collectively and and talk about it and do it like on the do answer the question on the board and then it's over to you so we've already verbalized the thought process so when it comes to them doing it by themselves they're having those internal conversations okay yeah I definitely agree with that um before we've got about four more minutes um i just wanted to quickly ask what is self-regulation and how can we ensure that this is done in the classroom yeah yeah kind of what we talked about already yeah Yeah. self-regulation is literally being able to regulate your knowledge being able to regulate what you're doing being able to we want ideally what we want is students to be able to <clears throat> look at a sex success criteria look at a rubrics or a mark scheme and be able to by themselves see okay i this is where i'm at this is what i've done this is what i've missed this is what i need to do to improve and it goes back to those three questions where am I where do I want to be how do I get there and so by being self-regulatory you're you're asking those questions yourself and it means again it, it allows the teacher to become more of a facilitator rather than a teacher and you're building that skill within them but also like as teachers we need to self-regulate we need to look at and be reflective as well and, and think about how can we get better? And that's that's where that outstanding comes in. It, it's someone who knows that, you know, they're never, they're never there. They're, there's always something that they could improve on. There's always something that they can get better at. And, you know, I, I've been teaching 10 years. There'll be people out there who's been teaching a lot longer than me and, even now, you know, you might get that one class that reminds you of what it was like when you were an NQT and you think, I, I, ha- I, I can't remember how to teach these kids. Like the behavior is really bad or, you know, you, you still get those moments of feeling like, oh, maybe I can't do this. But, you know, you remember all those tools you have and all that training you have and, you know, you, you find a way around it and you get better at it what you're doing I totally agree thanks for sharing Kat thank you for um you know joining me especially how it's really late in the UAE but I <laughs> in, um, I'm sorry mid- I keep coughing as well I'm, I know that's not <laughs> the no, no, best no, it's fine. I've got a bit of a cough as well I think why about coffee it's so hot <laughs> it is but, it's the uh, Abu Dhabi flu like or, oh. or Dubai flu you always you'll come over and like the aircon everything. Yeah, you'll uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it'll be the aircon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we close, I just wanted to um, 
ask if you've got any final remarks or tips for teachers or a recommended book or podcast for people to listen to um, as, you know, something that has really upskilled you as a teacher. What is that, like, one resource that has really upskilled you as a teacher? And if you've got any final remarks to... Yeah, I think I've mentioned him many times today. But um, definitely I would recommend reading one of the many John Hattie books um it might be feedback in particular he's done a book on feedback he's done a book on mind frames so I I would definitely look into (coughs) effect sizes and how you could um tweak your lessons uh and your your teaching in order to accelerate that student um progression and I think that's the key thing. If you if you want to be, and again, I hate using outstanding, but if you want to be, you know, one of those strong, effective teachers, it is about making sure that you are being reflective, that you are keeping on top of the research and the pedagogy, and that you are, you know, stepping out your comfort zone and being innovative in the classroom small tweaks that's all I'm gonna say just small tweaks can go a long long way that's amazing thank you so much Kat again and if you haven't or you know already if you're not already following Kat please do follow her um you know just following her will upskill you as a teacher and she creates these like infographics especially on her Instagram whereby if you don't have time to read read those nuggets of wisdom that she shares, read those infographics that she creates and she shares on her Instagram. That's a good starting point. Um, So thank you so much, Kat, for um, joining me and, you know, giving up your Friday. (laughs) Thank you for having me. (laughs) Mr. Swiddle's got a quick question. He said, can you share the reading you recommend, please? Oh, she did. um, um, Do you mean it as a link, Mr. Siddle? Because she did share anything by John Hattie that you know you could you could read, um, yeah. Um, thank you so much again, Kat. Um, I hope everybody else enjoys the rest of their weekend. I believe this will still be on Twitter if you wanted to um, re-listen or <laughs> listen afresh to um, to um, Kat's nuggets of wisdom. And um, yeah, look forward to um, my next. Um, talk which will be at the end of september sometime so please um look out on twitter for more information in regards to that have a lovely evening everyone bye bye everyone bye bye